We are continuing uh, in our series in the book of Philippians. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I hope you are too. Sean Hopwood grew up in a Christian home in a rural Nebraska area with his parents. His parents were followers of Christ. Sean was the oldest of the siblings. He excelled in school. He was a good basketball player in high school. He won a scholarship to Midland University. But before he graduated, he started to grow disillusioned. First of all, about his basketball skills and then Something was going on on the inside of him. He stopped going to classes, and then he just dropped out of school altogether. He joined the United States Navy, ended up in the Persian Gulf, guarding warships and using a shoulder-mounted Stinger missile. But Hopwood de uh, developed acute pancreatitis, almost died in the Baran Hospital, left the Navy with an honorable discharge. But after that, just kind of what was going on in high school with him, it began to grow and grow, and his whole life began to fall apart. This sense of being lost overwhelmed him. He was using drugs and alcohol, abusing him, becoming addicted. And through that, his life just tanked, man. He, he hit the bottom. And one day while he was drinking with a friend, they decided to rob a bank. I mean, why not? Because they could use the money, right? They could use the money. And so, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's rob a bank. And they ended up robbing five banks while they were armed. Not a good, not a good idea. Afterward, Hopwood squandered the money on drugs and parties. Eventually, his life came crashing down in the lobby of a Doubletree Hotel in Omaha, Nebraska. FBI agents tracked him down, they tackled him, and arrested him. A year later, terrified as he stood in front of a federal judge who sentenced him to more than 12 years in prison, he was on a plane, handcuffed, shackled, heading to a federal penitentiary. He was only 23 years old, and his life was growing worse day by day. As time went on in the prison, Sean eventually got a job working in the prison library where he began reading books about law. As he learned about law, he began taking cases for fellow prisoners, writing petitions for them that they could use in federal courts. They called him the jailhouse lawyer. That's a nickname he picked up while in prison. Pretty good. Pretty good name. He also started writing to a friend named Annie his secret crush from high school. Also, his parents continued writing over the years, letting him know that they were continuing to pray for him. His mom kept sending him Christian books, and he said, Mom, I don't want them. She kept sending them anyway. He started reading them. Well, there you go. One day in prison, one of Sean's prison friends, Robert, Something happened to him. Robert was betrayed by a friend, was turned in, and he was so angry and ticked off and bitter at this dude for doing that. 
you could see the angry anger just hanging on him in prison. But while in prison, somebody told him about Jesus Christ. And Robert placed his faith in Jesus. And so Sean, knowing the past of Robert, his friend, walked by his prison cell one day and said, the dude's smiling. Not only is he smiling, but he's sweeping out his prison cell. And so Sean stopped and said, hey, dude, what's, what's with you? What's up? He said, man, Jesus has changed me, and I've forgiven the dude that turned me in, man. I am free. <laughs> well, that haunted Sean because he knew about Jesus, and he knew his life wasn't going anywhere. But he kept resisting Christ. After Sean was released from prison in 2009, he and Annie got engaged. They asked a pastor that Sean knew to officiate the wedding, and the pastor said yes on one condition, that I could have a conversation with you about what you believe about Jesus. And so Sean and Annie agreed, and in the discussion, the pastor of course, brought up that Sean and Annie could experience the forgiveness of Jesus because of shedding his blood on the cross. And the pastor looked at Sean and said, yeah, even you, Sean. <laughs> uh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? It's a good reminder. This is what Sean said happened next. The next day, I couldn't escape the feeling that God had been pursuing me for a long time. Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, you can sense that same thing, man, that God is coming after you. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. And that if I had just abandoned my stubbornness and selfishness and hand everything over to him, I would find forgiveness of my sins. Sean continues, what does it mean to be forgiven? How are you How, how are you? How do you forgive yourself after robbing five banks? <laughs> and the answer is you need some help outside of yourself. He writes Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. He, Jesus, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Sean continues, because of our sins, none of us, and surely no former prisoner like me, can be rescued on our own. We need the gospel of grace, which says that each of us matters and has worth because we're made in the very image of God. Grace says that we are not defined by our failures and our sins, but a love without merit or condition. In other words, I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you if you stop that. No. God's grace was enough to forgive and restore me. So, shortly thereafter, Sean and Annie received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They put their trust in Him. They were baptized in water, and soon after they were married, husband and wife. Today, Sean is a professor of law at Georgetown University, where he's spreading the light of Jesus Christ every single day. Don't you love a true story like that? That's not a fairy tale. It's not in a comic book, friend. It is real. And some of you are on a mission, you know, 
running away from God. The debate, does God exist or not? When you see life stories like this, friend, God is real. And I'm telling you, you let him come into your life, you'll never be the same. I'm not talking about making God a hobby. You know, whenever you feel like it, whenever you get the gospel goosebumps, man, you check in with God. That's, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about day by day, all day, day by day, day after day, week after week, year after year. I've been doing this for a long time, man, and all I can tell you is my love for Jesus Christ grows stronger. Why? Because his love for me is becoming more realized in my life day after day. More of his love, man. I thought God can't love me anymore, and he keeps pouring it in. I don't deserve it. And so that's why, friends, we can, we can go after God passionately because he's come after us with all the passion he has. Why? Because he loves us. And wants a relationship with us. Let's go to Philippians 3. We're going to read verses 12 through 17 today. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Ten years earlier, Paul is in under house arrest right now. And he's writing to the church that he planted in Philippi ten years earlier. And there's some stuff going on. He's encouraging the church and he's also addressing some things that are he hears that are going on, and he's trying to say, hey, let's, uh, let's stay strong for God. Let's finish this race in a great way. So here we go. I don't mean to say that I, Paul writing, already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must, listen to that, but we must, if you feel like it, no, we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for shedding your blood on the cross, Lord. Tortured, mocked, ridiculed. Spikes nailed to your hands and feet, a spear in your side so that each one of us who places our trust in you have our sins forgiven, have our names written in the book of life. Lord, because this life is temporary, our home with you in heaven is forever. We thank you for that. I pray for every person listening online and that are in this auditorium this morning, by the Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on each one of us. It's true, Lord. We need you today, as we do every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Sean Hopwood.
May that be an encouragement to you today. No matter where you started in your faith with Christ, maybe you've drifted off, maybe you've abandoned your faith, notice God did not give up on Sean. God's not going to give up on you either. So, hey, you're the early birds, by the way. It's supposed to be 9.52. Somebody lied to you. It's 10.52. Nobody lied to you. I know. I don't like getting lied to. Do you? No, man. We don't like that. So then on the atomic clock, <laughs> it's 10.52. <laughs> You're right on time. You're right on time. So we could we can almost start a club today. You know, the early bird club. Shall we? Why not? Why not? Yeah. If we took a vote this morning and asked the question, uh, what is your pulse on the world situation right now? I don't know. I, I think the majority would land in, you know what, it's messed up, right? I, I think we'd lean into that. Um, some of you this morning are struggling financially because of the way prices are going and, and, and you're feeling the stress, anxiety from that and you're kind of wondering where is this going to end and the um, war that's going on with Ukraine and Russia and China wanting to get involved and telling us to stay out of Taiwan and we could go on and on. But listen... Jesus doesn't have his hanky out and he's not wringing his hands right now because he told you and I over and over again through the Gospels that in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to face persecution. But he said, cheer up because I've overcome the world. And I just want to encourage you this morning, man, if you're, if you're letting the world kind of beat you up into a corner, don't let it happen. As a follower of Jesus Christ, he promises to be with us all along the way. And we are on a journey together. And that's where Paul is talking about crossing that finish line on earth so that the next step is we're in heaven with Jesus Christ forever and ever. So... Yeah, we're living in perilous times, and we're told, even in the New Testament, that society will go from bad to worse. Now, am I going to become pessimistic? Am I going to become gloom and doom? No, I'm not. My hope is in Jesus Christ. That's where I place my hope. And so just like the world that we're living in right now, Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, they too were living in a dark place in history. Uh, he viewed that Christians living, modeling the character of Christ was a priority in a dark world. And even in dark days, you and I can experience God's grace just like Sean Hopwood did and is doing right now. So David Jeremiah, pastors out in California, and listen, man, we had somebody from church here go out to visit a relative in Southern California a few weeks ago, and they went to a church on a Sunday morning, but it was closed. And then they went to another church 
that they wanted to attend, and it was closed. And so the question is, what's going on? Right? What's going on? We live in a troubled world. And friends, what a privilege it is to be together today. Man, to see your faces, man, it does my heart good. You know? My heart's jumping jacks right now. Boom! It's jumping for joy. Does your heart do that? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, he writes this. David pastors in San Diego, I'm concerned about the way this present darkness is casting its shadows over many churches and over many Christians. Too many people in our community of faith are trying to blend the light of Christ and darkness, trying to achieve a sort of grayness. That doesn't work. It's a devilish lie to believe we can be Christians without being different and distinct from the world. I say, David, that's a good word right there. You know, I'd, I'd say it's pretty accurate. And I'd like to ask you are, you, are you, are you turning gray, you know, spiritually? Are you uh, got a foot in the world, you know, this thing with God, it's, it's a hobby. It's a hobby for me, you know. Whenever I feel like it, I do, no, no, no. You, you, can't, you can't survive that way. There's too many followers of Christ that have checked in to that lifestyle. So Paul is challenging these followers of Christ in Philippi, and if he were here today, he would be challenging you and I the very same way. So let's do a quick review. Number one, I focus on one thing Paul writes, verse 12. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, and the one thing is the finish line, right? That's the finish line. That's what Paul has been talking about, man. He's been hammering on that, crossing the finish line strong. That's what he's doing. He's focusing on this one thing, to finish strong for Christ. How does that happen? He says, forget the past, forgetting the past, he writes. And we've been talking about this quite a bit the last few weeks, being a prisoner of our memories. You know, uh, Sean Hopwood could have become a prisoner of his memory, Right? His past, neutralized, spiritually bankrupt, you know, thinking that God could never use him. But no, he didn't do that. He allowed his past to be forgiven. Consciously, subconsciously, so many, really, followers of Christ become prisoners of their past. And let me just encourage, don't let that happen. You're being robbed. I saw that, and you've, some of you have heard me tell this. I, I saw that happen in my own home growing up with my mom for decades. She was a prisoner of her past. And ultimately, she did forgive herself, and she allowed God to forgive her. And what a different person she became. So I just want to encourage you, don't. Become paralyzed in your past. Say, Lord, you're not a liar. If I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me, purify me from all unrighteousness. Yeah, yeah. So that's where Paul's at. And the deal is, forgetting your past, what Paul is saying is it's not allowing your past to influence your future. 
And so many people let that happen. They let their past, they carry it with them so that it influences their future. Paul says, don't let that happen. Two, look forward, verse 13c, looking forward to what lies ahead. Where are you heading is more important than where you've been. True or false? You said, dude, I'm not in school. What's the matter with you? We're just having a little fun. Just having a little fun. It is true. Where you're heading is more important than where you've been. Paul recognizes that. And then, number one, main point, I will finish strong by the grace of God. Verse 14, my press on to reach the end of the race. So that's the one thing, the end of the race, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Finishing is better than starting. Ecclesiastes 7, 8, we hit that last week. Um, some of you may know of Greg Laurie. He, um, he pastors out in California too, and he does, you know, they, they do these stadium uh, venues with music, bring people in to share their life stories, and then he talks about Jesus out there. He does that every year. This is what he says. Um, Do not be a half-hearted Christian. And he brings up um, Caleb in Joshua 14, 16, 6 through 9. It says, you wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God, which means Caleb wasn't half-hearted. This is what Greg says. I think we have a lot of half-hearted people filling the pews of our churches today. They want to give the bare minimum to the one who gave everything for them. If you try to live as a Christian but live as you please, you will find conflict. Some of you are experiencing that in your life. Some people have too much of the Lord to be happy in this world and too much of this world to be happy in the Lord. They're living a miserable no-man's land. I became a Christian at the age of 17. I had been out in the world for 17 years, and I think I had more than my share of it. I was raised in an alcoholic home where my mom was married and divorced seven times. For a time, I got into drinking and partying and... It was all I ever had known up to that point in my life. I had never gone to church at all. Except for a while when I lived with my grandparents, I knew nothing of the things of God. I had been raised in a world, and I sought for what it is. Even at 17, I was already sick of the way my life was going. I was in search mode, convinced that there had to be more than this. I was disillusioned by the adult world I saw. I realized that they did not have the answers. And I didn't like the way my generation was going and what we were chasing after. I knew we didn't have the answers either. And then I heard the gospel. I heard about Jesus Christ who calls us to follow him. I responded and gave my heart to the Lord. I started going to a Bible study where I met some half-hearted Christians who wanted to play with the world and still be Christians. That made no sense to me. I had been there and done that. I knew how empty and futile it was. I couldn't imagine how anyone could know the forgiveness of God and still want to dabble with the world. I thought, why even bother? I'd had enough of it to get my fill. 
I hope you don't have to learn this the hard way. You can take God's word for it. He tells you to stay away from certain things for your own good, or you can say, what does God know? What does anyone else know? I'll do it my way. Greg Laurie says, don't be a half-hearted Christian. That's what, that's what um, Paul, the apostle, is writing right here. I'm going to finish strong. I'm not going to go half-hearted in this race, man. I'm all in, right? I'm all in. That's how you're going to finish strong, being all in. And so Paul is sprinting towards that finish line. Number two, I will keep my focus, verse 15a, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. <laughs> Paul is going back to really to verses 12 through 14, talking about what that looks like with a mature follower of Christ. A lot of, and most mature people who follow Jesus realize they are never perfect spiritually. They never settle in to think that I've arrived. You know? I've been there and done that. I'm cool. God is cool with me. I could just cruise in. No, no, no. Paul's saying, no, no. Mature people don't do that. They run the race. Start to finish. They run it. Not distracted, not spectators off to the side. Number three, I will allow God to work in me, verse 15b. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. And this is where Paul is addressing something going on in the church in Philippi, some wrong thinking, some people are coasting and cruising, they're becoming spectators instead of staying full bore in this race. They're no longer sprinting to the finish, they've kind of adopted the spectator mentality. They've succumbed to that, you know, I'm just going to blend in instead of the pursuit of holiness. So Paul says that God will reveal their passivity and reignite their spiritual fire for him. Listen, in my own spiritual journey, friends, listen, it's not always, you know, flying, cruising, growing, you know. There are times things happen to take the wind out of you in life. There are times when you doubt God. There are times when you don't feel his presence. And first of all, let me just say this, that if you're living by feelings, your feelings deceive you. You know, uh, you've heard me say this many times. I don't feel like going to the dentist, you know, really, honestly. The dentist is not a bad person, but I want to keep my teeth, you know? I like my teeth. Um, if, I stopped, if I went by my feelings, I would never go. See? Even though you don't feel God, God is always there. You know why? Because God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere at the same time. That's how big he is. You cannot contain him. And so when you don't feel God, you can say, Lord, thank you that you're here, even though I don't feel you. Come on. Right? So let's not live our lives on feelings. You know they come and go. God always is the same. Paul is saying, listen, man, God's going to, he'll, he'll, 
He'll get you back in the race. And that, I've had to do that, man. I'm, Lord, we're starting right here. I'm jumping back on that track. I'm pressing on with you. Philippians 2.13, for God is, is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That word is, you want to circle it. Where's that? Philippians 2.13. For God is in action now. That's what that word is means. In action now. For God is, it's not the past, it's not a decade ago, is. He's working right now, presently. Whoo! Doesn't that get you fired up? God's working in me. Yeah. And you know and I know that we can't force people to grow spiritually. But you can sure model what that looks like, right? You can pray for them, model it. And don't let somebody's lack of growth keep you on the sidelines or in the bleachers. Number four, I will stay on track. You notice, I will, I will, I will. Did you notice that in your notes? I will, I will. What's that about? You're talking to yourself. David talked to himself all through the Psalms. I will, praise the Lord. I will lift my hands to him. I will. That's what we're doing here. I will. We're talking to ourselves. We're talking to each other. You will. You will. we're in this together. I will stay on track, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Paul is saying, let's grow in Christ. Let's pursue him together. And Life Church, let's echo that. Let's grow in Christ. Let's pursue him together as a body of Christ at Life Church. And if you notice, man, Check that verse out. Read it slow. Notice that Paul includes himself as, he write, as he's writing this to the church in Philippi. He said, we, but we must hold on. He's not saying you must hold on. He's saying we, we. What's Paul saying? He's saying doing life together as a follower of Christ is so much better than becoming a lone ranger, you know, because we need each other. Um. Rick Warren very simply um, identifies with this in Romans 12, 4 and 5. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all, we all belong to each other. Rick says, I can always tell the difference between a saddleback church attender, that's where he pastors, and a church member. An attender will come up to me in the grocery store and say, hey, Pastor Rick, I love your church. They say, your church, but a member, a follower of Christ that is part of our church says, Pastor Rick, I love our church. Our church. Get it? Have you made that jump? Have you made the switch from consumer to contributor? Yes or no? Yes or no? See? Hopefully you can all say, yo, yo, right? Yo, I hear you online. Yo. From an attender to a member, from longing to belonging. Here are three reasons. Number one, a church family helps you focus on God. 
right? It does. Easy to get distracted. Christina told us that earlier. A church family helps you face life's problems. Number two. He says either you're in one of three positions. Either you just came out of a problem, you're in the middle of a problem, or you're headed into the next problem. Life is a series of problems that God never meant for you to handle on your own, friend. Three, a church family helps you fortify your faith. Fortify means to strengthen, to reinforce, and to develop. And when you're in a relationship with other people in God's family, you get the right support. They encourage you to to create the right priorities, helping you decide what's trivial, what matters most. There's a lot of ideas in the world today and just aren't true and make it easy to lose sight of God's purpose for your life. Belonging to a church family helps you focus on God, face life's problems, and fortify your faith. And that will make all the difference in the world. That's a good word from Rick Warren, right? Benjamin Franklin <clears throat> said at the signing of the Declaration of Independence to all that were in the room, we must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. They were putting their lives on the line. Let's do it together or we're going to hang separately. So what Paul is saying, agreeing on the same basics while encouraging each other to hang in there day after day, there is a benefit, friends, to being together in the body of Christ. There is something cool about coming together, man, on Sundays and during the week. And there never will come a day when you, when you can say, you know what, I think I'm going to ease up right now. You know, I deserve it. I'm going to take some time. No, 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 don't do that. Now, but we must hold on. We must hold on to the progress we have already made. That word hold on, Paul is using a military term here. It means to walk in line with. It, it pictures soldiers marching in a row. And the idea is to keep in step. We're keeping in step together. In other words, we don't have dudes jumping out of the line wanting to march their own way. No, we're marching together in step. See it? So what Paul is saying here is we must hold on, hold on, march together. And he's writing to the church at Philippi, we, they must march in formation with God's word. You know, don't let the influence of the world steal away the credibility of what's true. This progress, Paul, but we must hold on to the progress He's wanting them to continue together with the same passion to know Christ. Look at what the message, how it reads, verses 15 and 16. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Know that we're on the right track. Let's stay on it. Let's stay on it. Let's stay on it. You good with that? Let's stay on that. Let's stay on that. So, we're going to go to North Korea. This is what's going on in North Korea right now. 
There's a woman called Bay, B-A-E. This is what she writes. Each morning I wake up thinking about what I need to do that day to meet my work quota. My husband and I are exiles living somewhere in the mountains of North Korea. We were taken here when we were caught with a Bible. As soon as the authorities realized we were Christians, our lives as we knew then were over. From early morning, 6 a.m. to dusk, we are forced to work these barren fields. The work here is hard. If we don't harvest enough crops, we will be beaten and have no time to forage for food for ourselves. All of us who live here are starving. Because we are part of what our government calls the hostile class. The hostile class. Let's say that again, the hostile class. We get very little food rations, usually watery soup, and hunger is our constant companion. As always, we live firmly in the suffering march. I have accepted I will live in this village until I die. Although it is difficult, I did manage to escape one time to China to bring back food and medicine. The leaders of the safe house where I hid gave me a new Bible and offered me the chance to stay there, but I could not abandon my family and church, however small it may be. In this place where guards are constantly on watch, my husband and I have secretly shared our faith and introduced many others to his word. I feel Jesus' presence each evening. I silently pull out on my cloak, slip out the front door, and make my way through the village into the forest where my Bible is hidden in a plastic bag. In most areas of North Korea, Christians must bury their Bibles in the ground to avoid authorities discovering them in random searches. When I get home, my home housemates are waiting. They've already covered the windows with blankets and lit a small candle with everyone gathered tightly around me. I open the Bible. And in a voice barely above a whisper, I read God's word. This is our church service. And my husband and I are blessed to lead it. I have learned that gratitude in every circumstance and situation keeps me focused on Jesus. I am so thankful that I am still strong enough to be poured out and used as his servant, and I desire to dedicate my life until death to glorify him. When our Bible was found by the authorities before we were taken to this village, it was immediately destroyed and burned in a fire. But his word, as you know, lives in us, in you and me. And nothing can separate us from the love of our Father, not death, not our life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor the things present, nor things to come. In Romans 8. Thank you for praying for me and other believers in our village and country. And I believe God's word, that one day all knees will bow and all tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray for that day. And with your prayers, we will spread the gospel throughout North Korea. Paul is saying, I will stay on track. Bay in North Korea is saying, we will stay on track, no matter what the cost. How about you? Father, thank you this morning.
were these encouraging words that Paul wrote long ago that are so relevant to living in 2022, to these days that we're living in, Lord. And we realize that all around this world, people, man, there's trouble. But thank you, Lord, that we can keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you will never leave us nor abandon us. And so today, Lord, I pray for every person online in this auditorium. that may be struggling, that may be doubting, that may be wondering, God, where are you? I thank you that even though Paul was chained to a Roman guard, he kept his eyes on you through it all. And so, Lord, help us to be intentional about that to purpose, to follow after you. And we thank you. Lord, our lives are in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.